Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. America. I am not a number. I am a free man. Wiggins America. The only thing I'm going to need from you guys right now is a cup of coffee. Wiggins. Today's global economy waits for no man. America. Today's global business climate is like, whatever, dude. Politics is a dirty game. I'm not sure we want to play. There are forces here at work that you couldn't possibly understand. You have no idea how high up this goes. Welcome to Wiggins America. take a week off anymore can you this is ryan and this is wiggins america of course i was with you last saturday but then i've been off for several days and got a chance to go down to florida took my kid to a soccer tournament and we also went to disney for a day a lot of fun at the soccer tournament (laughs) disney I, i don't know that i would do it again i'm not a crowds guy i just apparently we went last year during covid and that was a good move because there weren't as heavy crowds, and the rides were all ma- basically still running. And then I went back this year thinking, oh, Disney was not that bad. It was terrible. <laughs> it was terrible this year. So anyway, I'm back, and there's so much going on. Let's let's talk first, because we're going to talk a deep dive into the abortion arguments It's at the Supreme Court this week. I'm going to go justice by justice and tell you how I think, based on just their questioning, that they're going to vote I think you're going to like the outcome, but we'll break it down, let you have your own opinion. But let's talk about this first. China is, of course, on the world stage, and we are watching closely to see what they're doing. They're so conniving. They're so disgusting. And everything they do is for the benefit of a dictatorship. <clears throat> and they pretend that they're not that way because they're in the sort of assimilation mode right now. They're, I've said before that there's three phases when, when there's culture clash, and that's within the United States, that's with other countries and us, that's other countries that don't involve us, and that's throughout history too. You can apply this to basically any time, any cultures, anywhere, that you start with tolerance, the smaller culture or the less dominant culture, even if it's not smaller, <clears throat> will just beg for tolerance. Please let us exist. Please don't, please don't annihilate us or a way of living. Then you get assimilation, and this is the key one, is the middle one, where if they have tolerance, if they achieve tolerance, the smaller or the less dominant culture, then they ask for assimilation, or assimilation happens where the dominant culture allows the smaller one to become part of the greater culture. And that's key. 
is does the dominant culture adopt the <clears throat> practices of the smaller one or does the smaller one adopt the practices of the larger one? In China's case, they're taking a hard line on everything and we're adapting to them. That's the problem because the final chapter of that tolerance, assimilation and dominance is dominance. <laughs> I, I kind of gave the ending away there that if you allow the smaller culture or the weaker culture to overtake the greater culture, then they don't ever stop. They don't say, just give us tolerance. Then then it's assimilation. Then it's, we want to reign over you. That's the way it always happens. And so you want good, benevolent leadership. And that is not China. So anyway, long intro there to say that what's going on with this tennis star, this Peng Shuai, is so fascinating to me. I covered this a couple weeks ago. And we're going to continue to talk about it until... We see some sort of ending to this. It's a big deal, and it's amazing the NBA has done nothing. They have only, only wanted to make money. They don't care about what happens to people. They don't care about anything else other than money. So if you're not familiar what happened with the story, uh, on November 2nd, Pang was once ranked the number one doubles player in the world. She accused a high-ranking Chinese official of pressuring her into having sex. Sexual harassment. And you know, who knows what would have happened to her if she said no. You know, they might have just offed her. So she said then she consented, I guess in that sense, not really consent, but you know, she had sex with this high ranking government official. Then she went out and said, Look, this guy pressured me, sexually harassed me beyond that, basically raped her. Then all of a sudden she went missing, completely missing from the public eye. So the problem with that is this stuff happens in China all the time and it's the reason nobody ever speaks out. But she's got a big enough voice and she's well known enough and she's part of the Women's Tennis Association that members of the Women's Tennis Association, God bless Serena Williams and Naomi Osaka, I think she's a Japanese tennis player, for, for calling out China on this and forcing the WTA the Women's Tennis Association, to take action. Not that they were reluctant to, but they were forcing this to happen. So then Chinese state media released a video claiming that here's, here's Peng in a tennis match in Sunday in Beijing. And it, it, was, it was like, no, no, no. We don't know anything about this. That's not, a, that's not proving that she's fine. That's proving that maybe she's alive, maybe, <laughs> as long as it's new video. But then their response was, oh, okay, well, you know, because they're, they're hosting the Olympics. So this is kind of a big deal. So their response was, well, we'll have Peng Shuai call the head of the International Olympic Committee to prove that she's okay. So she call, apparently calls this Thomas Bach, who's in charge of the Olympics, and says, hey, Thomas, I'm okay. Everything's okay. Make this story go away. The Women's Tennis Association said, uh, no, and that's awesome because that would have been their out. That would have been if this was kind of like, let's pretend like we care, but we're not really willing to put our money where our mouth is. That would have been their out right there. But they didn't do that. They have said, if, if you don't show us here, I'm going to read the headline from Yahoo News here. It says the Women's Tennis Association has decided to pull events out of China. 
and it is an unprecedented statement in support of Peng Shui and women's rights, in part because it could cost the association and its players hundreds of millions of dollars. God bless the Women's Tennis Association. Of all things, they're making waves. They are forcing China to have some accountability that nobody else is willing to do, especially within the current administration. No American companies are doing this. And it's fantastic because it has to be addressed because the Olympics are there right now. So what's going to happen? Don't know. The Olympics, are we going to boycott them? Is this boycott going to grow beyond the Women's Tennis Association? Or is it going to stay there? I don't know. My hope is that it grows and that basically China is put in their place because this kind of stuff, you know it happens all the time. It's not as if, oh, this one incident, they're going to try to cover it up because, gosh, what a stain on their sterling reputation. This kind of stuff with brutal, powerful people happens all the time. And so there, if you're in the Chinese you know, upper echelons of government or power in China, you know this stuff is happening all the time. They're literally offing people. They're committing genocide in the western half of their own country, and we're not willing to call them out on it. Our companies are saying, well, but we get a lot of products from you, so let's just turn a blind eye. Let's pretend that that's not happening. And they do it the way we are just saying, that they'll say, hey, you're not really doing this, are you? And China will say, no, no, here's a video of us not doing that. So they go, oh, okay, well, you showed us video, so we're fine. They don't do what the Women's Tennis Association is doing. Donald Trump nailed it. Here's Donald Trump. None of this happened with us. They didn't send bombers over the middle of Taiwan. He knew not to do that. Had a very good relationship with President Xi. He knew very well you can't send bombers over Taiwan. None of that stuff happened. And they'll wait till after the Olympics and they'll do something with Taiwan now. They no longer respect us. They watched Afghanistan. They watched our generals not knowing what they were doing. They saw all of that, and they're watching very closely. They'll be doing things. Russia will be doing things. And maybe even North Korea will be doing things because they're watching our country. We are psychologically weak. We built the military. I built a great military. We had jet fighters that were 40 and 50 years old. We have new everything. We're, we're in such great shape. But you still have to have the brain power to know how to use it. Yeah, he's talking about Taiwan. He's talking about everything that's on the line here. Now is the time for pressure, guys. Because immediately after the Olympics, like he just said, China's going to continue to push. Nobody's stopping China right now. Nobody is pressuring China. The UN's not doing it. The United States isn't doing it. The UN's not going to do it unless the United States does it. They did under Trump. None of this stuff was happening under Trump. And I thought that clip was important to play because he's right. I mean, what's he wrong about there? His his international relations, <clears throat> he, he took such a hit for being the bad guy and, oh, everybody hates us. Well, yeah, because he was doing things that these weak-willed jellyfish countries wouldn't do. And so he shook them up. And that was necessary. And, and all they could say is, well, they don't like him. Well, I don't care if they like him. Do you care if they like him? Do you care if they like us? Or would you rather be doing what's right? Because there is a definitive right and wrong. And it's much more important to do what's right than to be liked. 
if you disagree with that, then your your morals are way way off. Oh man. Uh, so yeah. So let's talk about abortion coming up next. This is much better news. And I was off, you know, when oral arguments were happening this week, but I paid very very close attention because I was surprised looking at some of the people I follow in my news feed of how well these oral arguments went. Specifically, Clarence Thomas. I don't want to give away the goose here, but because uh, we're going to talk about it. But Clarence Thomas was vocal, and that dude never talks in oral arguments. He sometimes will grunt out a word, but he came very prepared to overturn Roe versus Wade. It won't happen with just him, so we'll break down the rest of the justices coming up next here on Wiggins America. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. Just real quick before we get off of the China topic, man, just once again, it, it's a, it's incredible what an organization, and I, none of us, we're not a part of a giant organization like the Women's Tennis Association, but I think the point is that it's not a giant association. It's the Women's Tennis Association, and they're taking a stand, and they're making a huge impact on geopolitical politics. That's redundant, geopolitical politics. But the point is they are making a, a stand and they're getting something done. And any of us can do that. Any of us can do that. If you, if you had an actual large entity doing it, like Coca-Cola or the NBA, man, just think of how much more it could get done. But how I, I'm encouraged by it, but I'm discouraged by the fact that we seem to be Republicans are united on China. There's no doubt that the middle and right want to stop China from doing basically anything because it's an evil regime. The Democrats kind of are, are waffle on it, <clears throat> and I'm talking politicians here. They seem to sometimes be in support of whatever is necessary to stop China from global dominance, and other times, eh, we'll kind of... We'll kind of let politics get in the way. Like, if it's a rep- Republican doing it, we don't like it. it, no matter what it is. Like, if, if it was a Democrat saying it, they'd be fine with it. But if it's a Republican, they'll stop it. Case in point, check out Marco Rubio on the Senate floor this week. So let me explain what's going to happen here in a second. So we've all heard the stories, right, in China and the Xinjiang province. Uyghur Muslims are taken from their homes, from their families. They're forced to work in these factories as slaves. They're forced to renounce their religion, change their name, forced sterilization, forced abortions. It's been characterized, rightfully so, as as genocide. So I filed a bill, bipartisan support, and this bill um, says that any product that's made in a factory in that part of China has a presumption that it's made by slaves. And it passed the Senate unanimously. It's sitting over in the House. So I'm trying to get it here as an amendment on this bill. And here's what happens. The House... They have this thing where they come forward and say, under the Constitution, if it generates any revenue, it has to start in the House. The problem I have with that is that they interpret it very differently than how the Supreme Court has interpreted that clause in the Constitution, very broadly. In fact, so broadly that they can basically use it on virtually anything. 
they can just apply it to anything they don't like. And so this is really not about gener revenue generating. The CBO said it's insignificant, really. This is about the fact that they don't want this bill to pass over in the House. And I understand why. Listen, there's some big companies out there, some very big companies. We know that for a time, Apple and Nike, a lot of big companies are pushing against it. They're not, not going to admit it. Who's going to go out and lobbying in favor of slave labor? But this is their bottom line. They make a lot of money by making stuff by people that aren't paid to make it. And they're lobbying against this thing. Yeah, I mean, see, this stuff is political. And obviously, politics is political, so I get that. But there are some things that shouldn't be. And maybe I'm living in a dream world, but China should definitely not be. And to some extent, isn't. You know, we do have a somewhat united front against China and in support of Taiwan right now. Anyway, I said we were going to get to the abortion discussion, and here we go. Wiggins, America. News with an audience. All right, we're going to go justice by justice on this. It wasn't a long oral argument. I'm surprised that it didn't take longer for the Mississippi law to be argued before the Supreme Court. Let's start with the liberal justices. Sotomayor was a joke. She's worse than Ruth Bader Ginsburg. I can't think of a single thing that she almost ever says, except in the rare case that the Supreme Court goes 9-0, which I guess they did more last year than they usually do, and in this last 12 months than they usually do. But even that, I've said before, I don't really like, because what they were doing is trying to show solidarity against court packing. Well, that means they weren't actually deciding cases on the merits of cases. They were deciding in their own best interest, those nine people's best interest. So I like the solidarity, but I don't like the reasons for it. I wish that we could see more 9-0 decisions to show, look, this is unconstitutional or this is constitutional and not make it political. But it took them protecting themselves and their own institution to do that. Now, you could make a case that they were protecting institution that's not protecting themselves, but... It looked to me like they were saying <clears throat> our relevance is being threatened because if you start adding justices, the the nine your your power as one of the nine goes down. So anyway, aside from Sotomayor being a part of nine O decisions, she's basically she looks like a joke. I mean, the things that she's talking about. One of her her quotes yesterday from these oral arguments was that fetal pain. The fact that something or someone, in this case, can feel pain doesn't classify it as a person or as a, as a separate entity is so crazy because you could make the argument then, well, then if I'm getting surgery and I'm under anesthesia and I can't feel pain, does that mean I'm not a person? I mean, there's, there's so many logical problems with the, with the issues she brings up. And 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 she got blown out of the water yesterday. I mean, the the people arguing for I don't know whether they're called prosecution or defense in these cases because they're different because they're argued before the Supreme Court. But the people arguing in favor of the Mississippi law had a fantastic day yesterday. Their arguments were were solid. They were strong. They were uh, they had a, a strong veneer. There weren't a lot of nicks in their arguments. However, the other side that was in favor of pro-choice or knocking down this Mississippi law, they had a lot of problems. So I'll jump from Sotomayor, and she's obviously a no, she's going to vote against this thing, to the other end of the spectrum in Clarence Thomas and say, this guy was on fire yesterday. It was like he came 
and said, this is my magnum opus. He doesn't usually speak, period, during oral arguments. The dude sometimes grunts out a word, but he is notoriously quiet during these things. Yesterday, he came fully armed asking big questions about Roe versus Wade. So there's your two ends of the spectrum. Sotomayor is a no. Clarence Thomas is an absolute yes. He's ready to strike down Roe versus Wade. He was ready before yesterday. So where does that leave everybody else? Well, Alito, naturally, Clarence Thomas and Alito pretty much are in lockstep with everything. And so Alito will be with him. Uh, We're making the assumptions. And then... On, likewise, on the left, you have Sotomayor and Breyer, who are usually pretty close. Breyer has, <laughs> as, as opposed to Sotomayor, Breyer has some constitutional understanding of things. His interpretation of what the court's role is in the Constitution is way off, but he does back it up at least with trying to fit it into the Constitution. I'll give him that. So there's your two. There's two and two. Right and left, if you want to put it that way. Now, we'll work our way toward the middle. Surprisingly, Gorsuch was... um, I shouldn't say surprisingly. He's an independent voice in the court, but he tends to vote strictly, strongly constitutional, or an originalist, as they say. What was the original intent of the wording of the Constitution? And he did not disappoint yesterday in oral arguments. He even was asking so far as, because the, the, we're getting into the nitty-gritty here, but that's the point of the segment, is that we're, we're breaking it down. There are two ways that this could go. One is that they write something so narrow that it just applies to the, to the Mississippi law, which would in itself be a win, because you'd be talking about essentially a heartbeat law that would be down the road, but but the Mississippi law specifically is between 12 and 15 weeks. Whether it's based on heartbeat, I may be a little bit off on that. I should have checked beforehand because I'm just going off of info, off of info, off my brain here. But um, let me say this: that would still be a win because then every state would again pass those more restrictive abortion laws. Every red state would anyway. The big question is whether they would actually overturn Roe versus Wade. We can get into what that means, too. But with Gorsuch, the way he was questioning was, look, you can't really pass an exception for this Mississippi law without overturning Roe versus Wade. So he didn't say whether he was ready to overturn it. He was just saying, I don't think I could go for the narrow ruling here. I'd have to go for the big if I did it at all. Now, they always they say these things, and we don't exactly know what that means, but it looks like then Gorsuch would go pretty far constitutional with Alito and Thomas here. So there's three, we can assume. So that leaves Kagan on the left. Kagan said nothing. That's a little weird. She usually does ask questions. In this one, she did not ask a single question. I don't know that she said anything. So that's bizarre for her. We'll still assume she's going to vote on the left, but that adds question marks to her. So let's say it's three and three right now. You got the three leftist judges and you got Gorsuch, Alito, and Thomas on the left. That leaves Amy Coney Barrett, Brett Kavanaugh, and Chief Justice Roberts. How are they going to vote? 
Well, Kavanaugh asked a lot of questions that seemed to imply that Roe versus Wade, <laughs> he asked questions that implied that there is a lot of room for overturning precedent, which would imply that he's ready to overturn precedent for Roe versus Wade. Don't know exactly. He tends to be a little bit more in the middle, but just based on his questions, he seems willing to overturn precedent, Supreme Court precedent. That's a big deal because that's what it's going to take to overturn Roe versus Wade. <clears throat> so let's put Kavanaugh in the camp of overturn Roe. That's four. You need five. So now it's down to Amy Coney Barrett and Justice Roberts. I'm going to read from Amelia Thompson DeVoe here. She's a writer for Nate Silver's 538. I'm specifically looking at her stuff because she followed this very, very closely yesterday, and she's very far left, as is 538, the publica publication that she works for and the polling company she works for. They're very, very far left. So <clears throat> she says this about Roberts. She says, on the other hand, Roberts seemed to plainly want some kind of compromise where the line for when an abortion can be banned moves earlier to 12 or 15 weeks. Not a surprise given what we know about his preference for incrementalism. Very key word there. Basically, what she's saying and what you probably know about Roberts, if you follow John Roberts and the Supreme Court at all, is that John Roberts likes to do things very small. He doesn't like to overturn an entire precedent law like Roe versus Wade or like the Casey case either into the weeds there won't go there but Roberts tends to <clears throat> want to kind of he's the appeasement guy he kind of tries to make everybody happy we're not trying to do broad social change here through the court generally that's not a bad thing because you don't want to just cause social change through the courts that's not the role of the courts so he's right essentially in that but our laws have gotten so far outside the bounds of constitutionalism that you need justices willing to take a stand, and he won't. That's the problem with him. So whether Roberts goes left or right on this remains to be seen. There wasn't a lot showing his hand as usual. He, you know, he's usually this, or he used to be the swing vote. But now you've got Amy Coney Barrett. And like I said, you got four, let's say we got four on the right or four constitutional judges and three on the left at this moment. We don't know where, where Roberts is going to stand. And he probably is not the kind of guy who would throw himself into a 5-4 decision. He would probably try to make a compromise in the middle somewhere. So that means that you're down to Amy Coney Barrett. Amelia Thompson DeVoe with 538 says this. She says, Barrett seemed interested in the viability argument at times which is the viability of a fetus. Is it a life? Because that was argued. But also heavily implied, she thinks women don't need abortion because they can give babies up for adoption and relinquish parental rights. That's fascinating. And the fact that she would even bring that up speaks to where she may land in a ruling. So a lot of people are saying, based on those arguments, big conclusion here, <clears throat> long segment I know, but there's a lot to break down because we're just looking for clues at this point. This is such a monumental case that Barrett very well could join the more conservative side. And it could be a 5-4 ruling that overturns Roe versus Wade. It also could be 
that Roberts <clears throat> tries to play the middle here. And let's say Kavanaugh or Barrett are kind of not sure whether they're going to overturn it or they're just going to allow the Mississippi law to stand. Because ultimately, conclusion, that's kind of the big takeaway is that it looks like one of those two things is going to happen. And either one of those things are good for life. If you define life as a baby in a womb, this is a win for you. And this is a win for basically creation or the, cre- <clears throat> you know, <clears throat> the divine rights of the creator in the constitution as it is. Uh, but it's also a win for science. I mean, the science shows this is different DNA. It's a different life. You cannot claim that that's the same life anymore. And that's the ultimate crux of this argument is, is it still a part of the mom when it's in the womb? And at what point is it not anymore? From conception, it has separate DNA. The science says that's a separate life. I digress. Back to the Supreme Court case. One of two things is going to happen. It looks like they're either going to declare narrowly that the the Mississippi law is legal and every red state in the country is going to pass the same law, which would stop abortion at, we'll say, roughly 15 weeks. Now, that's more restrictive than most states have it right now. On the other hand, it also looks very possible, more than I thought would happen, that they could overturn Roe versus Wade on maybe a 5-4. Roberts could, it depends on Barrett and, and Kavanaugh, if they're staunch on this, if they are backboned, backbone of steel on this, Roberts could join them realizing that he can't sway them, and so he'll want to make the majority bigger to make it look like there was more agreement because that's the kind of guy he is. Don't love it, but it is the way he is. So it's really going to come down to Kavanaugh and Barrett, maybe Gorsuch, and where how strongly they are on overturning Roe versus Wade. Now, as you've probably heard before, Roe versus Wade doesn't make abortion illegal in the United States. It just gives a constitutional or federal right to abortion. So if you take that away, what happens is every red state in the country makes abortion illegal. Cannot have an abortion in a red state. Every blue state probably expands abortion. So it's not as if abortion goes away. It's just that it gives it back to the states. And what we're seeing throughout the COVID era is how important it is that the states have more sovereignty than they currently act like. Strong governors like DeSantis, to some extent Abbott in Texas, have been asserting that power and saying, you can't do this. We have a federal system that says this is the United States of America, not the federal government of America. The states give the federal government their rights. So we would see a return to states' rights with abortion. That's a win. It does look very possible. We'll know in time. They're going to rule on this. I should have looked up the date, but I think it's within a month or two. We'll, we'll know. So there you have it. If you want to know more about that, we'll continue to you know, dive into these things as much as we can. We're not going to get many more clues than we did yesterday. Or I'm sorry, yesterday, as in uh, Wednesday. But the more comes out, the more we'll cover it. 
Stay tuned. More coming up here on Wiggins America. Yep. Sucking on a chili dog. I'm thinking this is probably going to be a show staple. Every couple weeks, we got to play Sucking on a Chili Dog. Because why not? It's almost 7 o'clock. This is Wiggins America. Little ditty about Wiggins America. Sucking on a chili dog. <laughs> what am I even talking about? Uh, thanks for being here this morning. A couple other things I want to get to before the top of the hour here. One is, uh, well, actually, first, let me say I've got some audio that I'm going to play at the beginning of next hour that's absolutely fantastic. It's the old, hey, look at everybody's a hypocrite thing. But, hey, look at everybody's a hypocrite thing. It's terrible. Uh, it involves vaccines in general and then mandates specifically. And Democrats and what they were saying last year versus what they're saying this year. Do you want to know what they were saying last year? I'm going to play some clips of what they were saying compared to what they're doing now. Before we do that, though, check this out. So as you've probably heard, CNN was being sold. This was uh, Warner Media, Time Warner Media, had put CNN on the chopping block and wanted to sell it off. But the problem is CNN is in so much debt that they didn't know what they were going to get for it. So <clears throat> back in, I think it was maybe the spring, something like February, March, April, something like that, there was a merger. And Discovery Media bought CNN as well as some other things. So here's, here's the merger news, okay? And then we'll get into what this means as far as the news that we consume. So Discovery owned Animal Planet, TLC, and of course Discovery Channel, and some things like that that you know. They merged, <clears throat> basically, $43 billion combination merger of CNN, HBO, HBO Max, Warner Brothers, and those properties that Discovery owned. They're all one big company now. So the media mogul behind this thing, his name is John Malone. He was interviewed a couple weeks ago about the CNN thing because the question was, <clears throat> excuse me, what's going to happen to CNN? So CNN, and I've said before that we live in this media-run state, right? Not state-run media because I, don't, I really don't believe that it's the politicians dictating to the media what to say. That does happen. I'm not saying that there aren't talking points that go out from the White House when you have a Democrat administration that don't just get repeated blindly. I think it's actually reverse, though, more than more than that way, that it's actually the media that comes up with the narrative and then the politicians kind of succumb to that. It works both ways. Don't get me wrong. But CNN, Washington Post, New York Times, uh, to some extent, maybe MSNBC and Fox News, but not quite. Fox News would be the only one that kind of pushes back, that gets that narrative out. But mainly these, these institutional media outlets that everybody knows the names of, they determine the narrative for whatever it is. You could really see this play out in the COVID era. And I'm encouraged a little bit by how many people always kind of knew that that was there. They were aware that yeah, the media's got a narrative, but they but they didn't really care enough to really question it. In the COVID era, that has changed. We still see those powerful outlets determining what's true. Like, they could have canceled Dr. Fauci at any point. At any point they wanted to. This would include NBC News, ABC, Today Show, places like that. They're all part of this sort of establishment, right? <clears throat> so... They determine who's viable, who's not. They could make somebody seem crazy. They could make somebody seem rational. 
they can make policies seem rational, like like mandates. Like, oh, we're, we're just being benevolent by forcing people to lose their jobs. They can spin those narratives, and they're good at it. So here's where this merger comes in that affects one of those big legacy media companies that determines the narrative, right? So this guy, John Malone, who's the, a major stockholder in this whole thing, big, big power player, said the other day, quote, I would like to see CNN evolve back to the kind of journalism that it started with and actually have journalists, which would be unique and refreshing, unquote. That's good news. I would love to see CNN do real journalism, too. Now, I'm not getting my hopes up that they're going to do, you know, that CNN's not going to become Project Veritas. They're not going to do, like, journalism journalism like Woodward and Bernstein were supposed to be representing, although I question that. They will probably, from this, I mean, this guy's got a ton of influence. We're already seeing this happen, right? If you didn't notice, here's a clip of Chris Cuomo. And I understand why some people feel the way they do about what I did. I've apologized in the past. I mean it. It's the last thing I ever wanted to do was compromise any of my colleagues and do anything but help. So I think this is, st- this is stuff that's already starting to happen. But we may see CNN start to evolve here shortly into something that looks a little bit more like a Wolf Blitzer world rather than a Don Lemon world. That's my guess. Is that better? Yeah, it's better. It's not a huge change, but it's better. And ultimately, they got to start making money. They're bleeding money. More Wiggins America coming up. Stick around. Like I said, we got some interesting clips about what Democrats were saying about vaccines last year coming up right at the beginning of next hour. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did.